You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children. And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders. And under our beds. And in our closets. And together we'll realize, whoa, that's pretty that's dark. That's pretty dark. I have been spending the past like five days in a row renovating my guest bathroom. I uh, am sorry, because that sounds like the worst thing to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's been great, honestly. But the weirdest thing that I discovered. Do tell. uh, In the wall, I found a whole big pile of rusty razor blades. (laughs) (laughs) That is just not the thing you expect to have in your walls. They were all cakes mm, together like, like mushed of, down over time ugh. like sheets and like layers it was a, a layered razor blade cake it sounds really dangerous mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to wear gloves to remove uh, it yeah. from the wall actually i bet it was super creepy ugh. and i can share a, a picture I can share photos of it ew yeah do you know why they were there i mean oh yeah no i totally discovered the reason um so i solved the mystery <laughs> of this slot that was in the back of the medicine cabinet that I always wondered what that was there for. Oh my God. Some context. I bought a house from a guy who died in the house. Yeah. Um, he was super old. Well, you bought it after he died, but. Yeah. Yeah. He had, he, he died was, he here. Had, he was the last one to live in it. But. Before you. On the inside of this medicine cabinet, there was always a list of dates that was like, change out the razor blades on this date. <laughs> so razor blades, a list of dates, a slot in the back of the medicine cabinet, and now And then you put two and two together. <laughs> full of razor blades. And yeah, when he would change them out, he would just slip it right through the slot. Did he think they were just like going away? They were disappearing <laughs> from his consciousness. It's so. disappearing to the Narnia wall behind my bathroom. This is why we have problems with pollution and <laughs> landfills is because I don't once know. you once it's gone once out of sight out of mind i guess but yeah razor blades are uh on the list of some of the strangest things i think you can find in the walls of your home definitely in, in the walls of a house that uh an old guy died in <laughs> <laughs> you know what else is strange to find in a house where an old guy died <laughs> you mean like a root cellar in the basement i do mean with like the a root darkest of in entities the inside yes, of I it do. yes i do Wow, that's on, crazy. On that's pretty dark. Here we are. Super scary stuff. I'm Kaylin. And I'm Christian. So, since you have just beautifully ushered us into a world where we learn about the inhabitant of a home based on the home itself. The things you discover in the home. Mm-hmm. And the things that you discover within. Yeah. Shall we get started? Let's open that basement door and walk down those stairs into the dark ass, scary basement. Dun, dun, dun. Let's peek inside that root cellar together. I would love to. (laughs) Today, we're covering Are You Afraid of the Dark? Season 1, Episode 11, The Tale of the Dark Music. Oh, you know we are. And there are varying air dates. Some places say that it aired on October 24th, 1992. Mm -hmm. And some say that it aired on October 31st, 1992. Damn, Halloween. Either way, way, I'm pretty sure this was the Halloween episode for that year, that first full year of the show. It seems to be. Either on the day or the week leading up to the day. Right, right. right. We don't know which air date is correct, if if any of them, but. (laughs) Could have been a different year entirely. It seems safe to assume that it aired sometime around Halloween 1992. Yeah. It was also directed by Ron Oliver, who we already know from Phantom Cab, Laughing in the Dark, Mm. and Super Specs so far. Hell yeah. And it was written by our favorite human, DJ McHale, under his own name. (laughs) 
Why pick and choose, you know? I don't know. I would love to ask the man. I would love to ask him. I do know that he's quoted somewhere as saying that majority of the first season was written by women. Hmm. And it's interesting that most of them are just Chloe Brown. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like. confused, DJ. Talk to us about this. Tell us. Share your heart. Is that a fluke? Are you not Chloe Brown? I would love to know. And also, this episode is kind of a hard hitter among the fandom. It's very popular. And so I felt a lot of mostly self-inflicted pressure to do it justice somehow. Mm -hmm. And that resulted, as Christian knows, because I've been complaining about it, in some serious writer's block around this episode. Yeah, you pulled a me. I did. I pulled a you straight up. So <laughs> if you have different theories, listener, or if I miss something about this episode, please write in. Let us know. I will not be offended. We are exploring this stuff together collectively. You are part of this journey and we want to hear from you as well. Yeah, we do. So I hope I don't get much wrong, but I'm going to just, I'm going to be exploring and presenting theories more than I am giving answers today. And that's, that's what I got. I hope you get 64% correct. That's really At specific. Least. I usually do better than a 64%, but you know, today, maybe not. We'll see. No, normally you're like, you're at least a hundred. <laughs> That's very kind. So we open up on the Midnight Society. They're stoking fire and they're settling in for another evening of ghosts and ghouls. Ghosting. And Frank appears in a huff. Where were you? And it's actually hey, more Frank, than a huff. Um, he's kind of losing his shit. We were supposed to come together. Oh yeah. Forgot. Sorry. Forgot. Oh, it's very theatrical. Yeah. He's like playing up this anger. But apparently Eric was supposed to walk to the clearing with Frank because Frank had lost his flashlight. Mm -hmm. And Eric is being a little punk. I will give you that. Yeah, he is kind of brushing him off. But I have two qualms with this. Two qualms. Yeah. One, could Frank not borrow or procure another flashlight? They are not difficult to come by. No, you're, yeah. you don't just have one flashlight. He, right. Like, he, he could find another flashlight. He'll borrow one from the neighbor, right? I have like seven or eight in my house right now. <laughs> I have so many. Yeah, we, we live in prepared land. But we also but always have hurricanes every year. Hurricanes. So we're prepared have with plenty of flashlights and batteries, and I have candles too. But. I just feel like they're not that hard to come by. So that was number no, one. They're, they're not hard to come by. Number two, it's just not that deep, Frank. <laughs> it's not that deep. I understand that the whole joke is that he's supposed to be a tough guy, and he's scared of the dark, and oh, ho, ho. and it's yeah. like you said, the first time they really talk about being afraid of the dark on... Are you afraid of the dark? I'm not afraid of the dark. Right. But in this fuzzy 90s way, I think we're hitting on something much deeper, which is the alchemizing of fear into anger for stereotypical 90s male. There you go. Yeah. Because for one reason, I don't know why, one reason or another, that's seen as more socially acceptable. We see this all the time. Yeah. And there's this meme that's circulating all the time. It's very binary, like male, female. But... It's always circulating about how men call women more emotional because they have successfully over thousands of years branded anger as not being an emotion. Right. Right. And it's true. I mean, <laughs> Well, I can say from my experience that for years, I mean, a long, long time, uh, I had my own anger issues and it's because I lived in a state of fear and panic uh, and yeah. existential fear yeah, and dread absolutely. for a long time. So I channeled all of that into anger because yes. it, you can, it feels like you can wield anger. Right. It's a, it, it feels it gives like a you weapon, more control more than so does. than accepting your own fear growing up, Absolutely. uh, being an actual man and accepting your fear and doing something about it exactly. versus just lashing out fearfully, I mean, uh, fearfully, but through rage. Man, we're having this, a really great joint, uh, it's true. Soapbox here. Most people channel that into, into rage and anger and, yeah. and I, I did it too. Men, especially because it's not acceptable for women to be angry, mostly. 
Because then we're dismissed as hysterical. Men aren't dismissed as hysterical. Right. They're just angry. I and mean, that's okay. It's, 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 I think it's coming more into uh, common knowledge that men are way more emotional. Uh, or at least yeah. we're, we're way – it's not that we're more emotional. We are less capable of handling our own emotions probably because we never let ourselves be held accountable for our emotions. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. I think you got it. Yeah. I was also talking with some friends recently about the like a male horm- hormonal cycle versus a female, and a male's hormonal cycle is a twenty four hour cycle. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, yeah. So it's way more up and down than it is for a woman. I've told you plenty of times that I wish I could just go one day without feeling the entire spectrum of emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just one day, and that's why. Be great. If you don't know about that, you should look it up. Mm-hmm. But yes, the truth is, we're all emotional creatures, all of us. Yes, and. I'm really sorry that the patriarchy hurt you like this, Frank. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> because he's enslaved to this idea and not practice of masculinity. Right. Just the idea of it. Tox- it's toxic masculinity. It yeah. is. Toxic masculinity. And I have that in here a couple times that we'll see it through this episode. Mm-hmm. And just because he's upset and angry and he is a victim to the patriarchal idea of you know, masculinity in this moment, that doesn't mean he needs to take it out on Eric, even though Eric is being a punk ass. Right. Or any of these other kids that are just trying to have a good time. And sweet, sweet Betty Ann chimes in and lets him know that it's okay to be afraid of the dark, Frank. It's okay to feel your feelings. It's okay. I get scared in the dark sometimes too. Dude. Oh, so good. I was, it was, it's weird because like I was too young to have crushes when I was watching this and I'm too old to crush on Betty Ann now, but... (laughs) You missed it. You I missed, missed my boat. opportunity. I was I was just at the <laughs> wrong time, wrong place, wrong time. But I would have had to think for for Betty Ann for sure. She's great. She's so great. And then of course Kiki chimes in and she's like, "Don't be strange, Frank." Yeah, don't be strange. Like that nineties chatter. <laughs> don't be. I don't think I've never I've never heard anybody say that in life, but I would like to. Again, that's where I think that it, this is just adults writing for children, thinking this is how kids talk. Yeah, and it made us talk certain ways that yeah. people didn't actually talk like. I probably would have copped that and used it. Don't be strange. Don't be strange. <laughs> so at this point, Eric leans into the gag. You know, he's playing up the fact that Frank is afraid and he mm-hmm. is also kind of victim to that masculine mentality of, or the toxic masculine he's mentality. He's teasing him for being, having a genuine fear. Exactly. Which is also bad. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It sucks. It's and shitty. <laughs> Gary jumps in and he kind of defends Eric because it is his night to tell the story after all. So basically, we need you to, to survive so that you can tell us your story. Yeah. Um, Gary's just trying to diffuse the whole thing. He's just making a joke. Yes. He's just he's trying like, to- He says like, you know, don't kill him yet. He has to tell the story. <laughs> exactly. You know. Yeah. Man. But I mean, Frank was just really mad. And that, so it struck me watching it. I was like, he, he's so angry. He did like a dance move when he tried to walk away because he was he was flexing so hard to like be so aggressive <laughs> that he like he like danced away. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. It was, I would do the move for out. you, but we're in two different places. Yeah, I wish you would. I'm also yeah. just in my boxer shorts, so I don't really want you to <laughs> see me. That's fair enough. Naked. This is a, an audio medium, ladies. But yeah, I mean, this all parallels the episode. I, yeah, I think so. You know. Also, so Eric's about to tell this story, and there's some confusion on whether this is his first or last story, (laughs) because they shot things in just a strange order, and we don't know if they, like, if these two aired in the order that they were shot. We have no idea. Right. But we do know that Christian just told us Eric's story about the tale of Jake and the Leprechaun last week, Mm -hmm. or last time. So this is another Eric back-to-back, 
And again, because he only had two stories ever before he vanished into Mm -hmm. the abyss. Into the root cellar. The only theme that we can really pull, I mentioned it before, is this kind of familial theme. Like he talked about his grandfather with Jake and the Leprechaun. And then he's talking about the character's uncle for dark music. Yeah. Interesting. And speaking of familial stories, I'm going to just say it right here at the top as well. There is such heavy parentification of Andy Carr, the main character in this show, this episode. Mm -hmm. He is totally burdened with his parents' divorce and his mom's finances. And it is a lot in terms of like literal emotional trauma that they are just handing this kid. Yeah. So beware of that because it can be triggering for those of us who grew up in the 90s and may or may not have experiences with this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we're here for you. I mean, I would say it's a pretty realistic look. At, yeah, I think so. At a very common scenario. Yep. You know, in that time frame, absolutely. A parent, you know, going through the divorce, a parent is too distracted and just trying to control whatever she can control, and mm-hmm. he's left to. But she's leaning on him, though. He's forced to take responsibility for things he doesn't need to take responsibility for. Yep. Mostly because she just can't. She's dealing with her own shit. Exactly. And she's unable to force the younger sibling to do anything. <laughs> we'll get there and, too. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, I know. But like you know, so all of this falls on him, which makes me feel like Eric has a little sister. Yeah. Has to deal with maybe divorced parents. He lost his grandfather recently. He has telling another sure. familial story with his mm-hmm. this this uncle maybe who died. Maybe it is. Maybe it's how he's working through his own. I think it's him processing. And it also could check out why he just disappears because it could be that they just maybe he moved. They had to move. I wonder if he had a paper route. Maybe he had a paper route. I think he pulls <laughs> directly from his life a lot. I think he feels burdened in his own life. And he, wow. I think he's heavily... I think he's a very emotional kid, and that's why he's he picks on the others, and he's so snarky and yeah, snotty. because everybody knows you cover that up with humor. Exactly. Nine of ten times. He covers it up with humor, and I think that's where he's coming from on the whole. Yeah. I'm not, Ouch. I'm not like Eric, but I identify with him mm-hmm. in things to do with his grandfather dying and telling a story about a dead uncle. Right. I've got things in my own yeah, life that kind of parallel do. that, and it's weird to discover that on this rewatch. Having already felt like, he's a cool guy. I think he's funny. I like this character. You did, yeah. You've always felt connected. And then all of a sudden, he's telling these very like poignant like stories. Reasons why you may resonate. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really strange. Wow. But I never used humor to mask my pain. I used anger like we just discussed. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, also, you have I, used humor before. Well, more in recent days. I use humor now. <laughs> I'm learning to lighten up humor. a little bit. I just I just laugh it off a lot. I just and, laugh. Uh, then cry in private. Oh, I laugh. Um. <laughs> Laughing in the dark. Laughing in the dark. Laughing in I'm the doing. dark music. <laughs> oh, dear. So in Eric's story, Andy is played by the actor Graham Selkirk. And believe it or not, this was his singular sole acting credit. He didn't grow up and turn into John Mulaney. He didn't, but he looks it, doesn't he? <laughs> he looks just like John Mulaney. <laughs> so much. Um, so but he is credited with additional voices and loop group for Spy Kids, Max Keeble's Big Move, hmm. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, it just isn't true. Holes. Okay. And the 2019 Chernobyl. Oh, okay. What's a loop group? I'll tell you. Please. Loop group is how they refer to voice actors who fill the on-screen extras, crowd voices, and deepen the sound landscape, Mm. as they say. The ambiance, the background. I got it. Right. Anybody that you're seeing on screen that wasn't 
miked, you know, in the shoot, um, the loop group fills in for them. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Thanks for making me feel better about the facts in my script. So <laughs> we see Andy, who is running his paper route, and he's doing this to, to buy his school lunch and help his mom make ends meet. So and sad. They, it's so sad. And they, along with Andy's younger sister, have just moved into a new neighborhood because Andy's mom inherited a whole house mm -hmm. from an uncle that she barely knew without having to pay a cent. So she she got the kids in the divorce. She got custody, but got no money. Gets no child support. No money. Gets nothing not. from the husband at all. Or even, I mean, maybe some, but not enough. Clearly, this was enough of a deficit to affect the kid to feel like he needed to have a paper route and contribute. Like, she's got to get a job. Yeah, something's you know? got to give. Like, she's got to I mean, do something. she does, right? They hired a moving company. Yeah, they do have that. I think she needs to take better care of her kids. She needs to I learn do how think to, that. to discipline the younger sister. Oh, uh, right? She needs to right? get a job. <laughs> You're being really hard on the single mom. And also, she needs to get coffee with me because she's, she's fine. <laughs> Are you about to get to those guys just sitting on the porch? Because, <laughs> yeah. my God. Yeah. Well, they were on their lunch. And so she clearly, like, the moving company, like, yeah, it's one of the opening frames. Yeah. Like, they're, the movers are seated on the front porch eating. And she's, like, struggling to carry a box between them. They're and like, Andy, like, helps her out. Hey, lady, we're going to take our break. And she's just like, well, all right, I'm going to keep yeah. moving things in. That's how it goes. I would do that. I don't know. So... Speaking of her, mm -hmm. Andy's mom is played by Catherine Graves, and this is also her singular acting credit. So I'm so sorry, but you cannot find her anywhere but this episode. I wasn't going to try to find her. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> you weren't going to seek it out. You just. You know, I know. I mean, she's not that age now. Well, no, of course not. She's old enough to be my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, she is. Literally. Yeah. Andy's younger sister, Christina, as you mentioned, is played by Jenny Levesque, mm -hmm. who. Do you know who she played? I quizzed you about this before. No. She looked familiar, didn't she? Yeah, I remember. I was having a lot of whiskey then, and I'm, <laughs> I'm having whiskey now, so I don't remember. So Jenny Levesque played our ghost in The Tale of the Lonely Ghost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> she looks just like her. That makes that makes a lot of sense. She is also a cast member who shared the mysterious additional voices credits for Harry Potter, hmm. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I, there's just too many of them. Like some wires are crossed somewhere. She looked like, did I say she looked like you in The Lonely Ghost? You did. Yeah. Yeah. You told me that. Mm -hmm. She doesn't look like you in this one. She looks very different. And as we said before, she does have credits for five episodes of Goosebumps, including Say Cheese and Die Again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you this. When I first heard her voice, I got really excited. This was before I remembered that she was Lonely Ghost because we talked about it. You know, we just, I've forgotten. Right. So when I first heard her voice, I thought she was Cara Deliza. Do you know her? No. You'll first know, listener, Carrie Eliza from Mary-Kate and Ashley's Sleepover Party. <laughs> oh, that's the spooky one, right? Yes. Okay, I do know that. But more importantly, Kara played the lead character, Fiona, in the Disney Channel series, So Weird, which we oh. will absolutely be covering one day because I loved that show. All right. So I was excited, but alas, it is Jenny Levesque and not Carrie Eliza. So sorry about that. <laughs> but... On his paper route, Andy accidentally runs into this uh, Eddie Munson-looking, but not acting, bully <laughs> on the block. You mess with me, kid, and I'll deck you. What? He's like Billy. He's like if Eddie was Billy. He's if Eddie was Billy. He's got the, Yikes. like, black jeans on. Black jeans, black cowboy boots. The weird 
clownish band, band t-shirt. Long hair. I said this to you before, but I really wish he was wearing a uh, a Zebo shirt. That would have been so cool. That would have been way more fitting. I really wish that he had been. That would have been mm. super sick. But his name is Coda. And Coda is played by Leif Anderson, Leaf. who had just a few film credits. I like the name Leif. Yeah. I, I just think it's Leif. cool. Leif. It's like L-E-I-F. It's like Leif. 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 Life. <laughs> Life, perhaps. But he just mostly had small supporting roles in films that I was unfamiliar with. Hmm. Sorry, folks. Sometimes it happens. I was surprised. Like, the, most of this cast just really didn't do much else, but they were really a lot of fun. So I was kind of bummed. Yeah. Yeah. But Coda, in that 90s bully way, informs Andy with a black boot on his chest. Oh, my God. Look, everybody was glad when your nutbag uncle kicked. Then you had to show up. <laughs> his nutbag uncle. And he threatens him, basically warning him <laughs> not to it. get in his face again, which he didn't get in his face to begin with. But bullies never need get a reason. Get in face again, no. your history. Mm-hmm. Who are you? I'm your new neighbor. Welcome to the neighborhood. And again, here. Femmes, gentle thems, we have another example of toxic masculinity. <laughs> yeah. And it's our second in the first three minutes of this episode. Right. Well, I mean, it's just another thing where like it parallels the intro with the Midnight Society. And you have to wonder how much of that was just inspired in the moment to be part of the story that's told because it always directly influences the storytelling. Yeah. Erica's sitting there pretty much being the little sister. Right. Ragging on Frank, who's you know, using anger to mask his own fear and how, you know, miserable he is. Just like Coda. Exactly. Just like Coda. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Do you know what else is scary? What? A lot of things. (laughs) Inside at this point, Andy's mom is struggling to hang her blinds. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely a form of torture. And that is a little gem in there to scare the adults. For sure. Can't convince me otherwise. Because there are a few things I hate more in this life. I could help her out with that. Oh, my God. I'd hang her blinds. <laughs> Christina is giving Erica from Stranger Things vibes mm-hmm. with all of her insults, but she's kind of whiny. Sassy, whiny. Sassy, yeah. Really? I promise I'm going to try to stop referencing Stranger Things. It just made too much sense. Well, this it, this feels very 80s. It does. This, this episode feels more 80s. It feels kind of more distant. But as Andy's mom is hanging her blinds, yeah. she sends Andy, this chronically parentified man boy, <laughs> down into the depths of the basement to look for a ladder for her to help her. Uh, I don't know. What's the matter, Andy? Afraid of the dark? No, I'm not afraid of the dark. And, I mean, I don't know anybody who likes going into unfinished basements, and I'm kind of glad we don't have them where we live, personally, because they do creep me out. There are basements. Around. There are, just not many. rare. We flood too much. They flood, yeah. We have been lately. Oh, yeah. And we get this classic shot of Andy's feet creeping down into the dark basement. I love it so much. Hey, somebody hit the wall switch up there? I need some power. Personally, I wouldn't be stepping foot into the basement until I could light it up like a Christmas tree. There is no way. But he could. I'm not going down there without power. He could have turned on the power. He could have done it on his own. Also true. I don't know. Maybe he didn't realize that he needed to. This is the first time he's been down there, perhaps. But But we needed to set it up. Either way, for the purposes of the episode, we needed to set up this device that the basement does not have power to it unless a switch is flipped upstairs like a breaker. That's not the last thing I have an issue with in this episode. Oh, no, no. Far from it for me either. Yeah, one of the first. (laughs) So in the basement, he finds this old radio, which doesn't work until they send power to the room. Mm -hmm. How's that? Good, thanks. 
And when it powers on, we see this strange little cellar door at the bottom of the stairs starts to shudder and shake. And that's kind of weird, right? So weird. <laughs> so weird. And the second time it happens, Andy snaps around and he's like, I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. And it really made me laugh because that's very us. Like you and I both do that shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh-huh. All the yeah, time. I know. I hear you. Yeah. If we're at home, we talk back. You know, we're not afraid. We are, but we pretend that we're not. Oh, yeah. Um, Mr. Houston, uh, he'll he'll turn off what I'm watching on my smart TV. He'll turn it crazy. back to Heartland. Crazy. Have we talked about this on the show before? No, if we this haven't, is the first I don't time. know why. Oh mm. my God. Yes. The man that Christian was referencing at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. He clearly just wants to watch Heartland. <laughs> he he must have loved Heartland because every time my TV switches back to cable, whatever cable is these days, I have no idea, whatever that is, uh, it's Heartland. It always goes back to Heartland. Insane. That is just wild to me. Mm-hmm. And I have said, hey, don't do that. You yeah, know, exactly. Talk, talk back. Yeah. We talk back because guys, we know this. We're never really alone. Mm. Not really. And not to mention, radio static has always had a way of just spooking me. But we will talk more about that, I promise, when we get to the tale of Station 101. Yeah, we point will. Something <laughs> I didn't write down. It's just one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> mm-hmm. The one with Gilbert Gottfried. Is that the one that has uh, Ryan, Ryan Gosling? Gosling? Yeah. It is, I think. Yeah. David Bowie. And David Bowie. Ryan Gosling. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Same person. Man, if you're an OG listener, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> and that joke was a real callback. <laughs> I'm impressed. Mm. So Andy then finds a station that he likes. And as this guitar solo pours through the speakers, the cellar door creeps open. Mm. And a pair of glowing red eyes move forward. And the entity here darkly bellows. Hello, Andy. Hello, Hello Andy. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. <laughs> And honestly, it does feel very demonic. It is compared demonic. to boogeymen of other episodes past. Like that would scare me as a child. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Of course, at this point, Andy jumps, and then the radio falls on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't it? Kind of gets tapped, and it falls over. It comes apart, and it bursts into flames. <laughs> so a little bit dramatic. You know, everything built back there. in the fifties or sixties or whatever just was just a second away from catching on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, so everything and. Of course, as it does so, the music ends and the cellar door instantly closes. Also, the lock on the door, it's extraordinarily phallic. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the latch. The latch that closes. The latch that locks the door. Yeah, I thought that too. It's a giant iron penis, for sure. It is. Yeah. Obviously, this move into a new house horror trope is nothing new whatsoever. It's so Stephen King. Oh, I love it, it is. It's Stephen King, but it's so many other things, too. It's just that's the perfect setting, apparently, this new place where you're supposed to be comfortable and mm-hmm. easing into a new normal. Yep. And it turns out to not be so normal Turns at all. out to be quite liminal. Hmm. Mm, calling it back to that haunted train. Always. But aside from the typical residual haunting or poltergeist, as we've talked about in other contexts, there are a couple of other spooks that could be at play here in a suburban home. Oh, okay. And there may even be multiple ideas colliding, as we've noticed often with episodes that DJ McHale has written. I dig it. Uh, Before I tell you these guys, I'm going to list off some different lore and spooks that could be involved. All right. But did you have any initial theories on what kind of entity this creature in the basement might be? Well, yes. <laughs> My conclusion I've come to is that its origins lies within the jinn, 
mythology, uh-huh. like a genie. Okay, good. Yes. So that's that's my main thing because it ends up basically granting wishes. Yes. Um, after you provide some sort of service to it. Yep. So instead of being locked in an oil lamp, not not locked, but sealed in an oil mm-hmm. lamp, trapped, it's a root cellar in a basement in Canada. I'm right there with you. And I do absolutely have a lot to talk about with Jin. Okay, sweet. But first, I wanted to make mention of household deities in general. All right. There are many East Asian cultures that worship or regularly communicate with their ancestors. Mm -hmm. And many traditions have spun off from this, creating their own kind of deity from this belief, which attaches itself to the family and home. Are you going to reference yokai? I'm not. Okay. I don't have yokai in here. That's fine. I have a yokai tattoo. I know you do. Do you want to talk about it? No, we don't have to. That would be nice no. to talk about it, but it it, it has to do with uh, objects mm-hmm. in in right. um, tied to an object. It's typically not like space. It's not not a room. It would be like affixed to the shovel right. in the root cellar, not the root cellar itself. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Slightly different. Yeah. It's so I different. didn't go there. I did read about it though. That's great. That's great. But what I was going to to kind of go toward there are many iterations of this many many versions i'll say that again mm-hmm. but there's the domovoy in domovoy. slavic tradition okay and this entity was basically believed to be the head or the progenitor of the family line like the first of the family line and wait it, how is that possible <laughs> exactly how is that possible it isn't um sorry to anyone with that belief but <laughs> okay no i mean no i mean tell us how it's possible if it's the first of your family lineage then it's the first of your family lineage, and it's supposed to persist living with your family, and it protects the children and the animals, mm. and it will avenge the wrongs committed against the family, and also fight the domovoi of other families. Okay. No, I, I'm into this. Domovi. This is super sick. Yeah, they'll fight each other. Holy shit, and this is cool. How is there not like a like a Digimon or Pokemon version of this? I mean, there very well may be. That exists. In, like anime, I'm sure there's something. And you can something. fight your ancestors against other other ghost ancestors. Yeah, that's pretty much what's happening that's with cool. this tradition. Um, Wikipedia says, in such warfare, the Domovoi of the eventual winner's family is believed to take possession of the household of the vanquished rivals. Whoa! <laughs> so they they kind of fight for territory. That's insane. And so you're like you're that you want your lineage to win out, basically, in that war. Hmm. And they can also share in the joy and sorrow of the family and warn about future events that could harm the welfare of the family. And the Domovoi does not Domovi. I don't know. I'm saying it wrong. It's written in three different ways. It's Slavic. I don't know. I'm not. It's Slavic. I'm not oh, from you there. You give me shit for not looking up pronunciations, but you don't get to look up pronunciations. Pretty much. Got it. Yeah, Got that's it. my MO. All this research. Everybody you can did hate me for that. <laughs> didn't look up the pronunciation. Often I do. I just, a lot of this came together at the last minute. So, no, apologies. listen, we can't pronounce everything correctly. It's never going to happen. Can't. Even Marcus Parks can't. So, what, how could you ever expect us no, to? No, if he can't do it, nobody can. <laughs> <laughs> It's not possible. But the Domovi does not like to be alone. Okay. And they can forsake the family and leave them unprotected if they find themselves given to, quoting, bad behavior or language. (laughs) (laughs) So this generational shaming is not just a Christian thing. So you can disinherit your own descendants? You sure can. You can just basically say- If you don't like what they're doing. I don't like what you guys are doing with this whole lineage thing. I'm going to disown Mm -hmm. you. I'm going to leave- and then leave them unprotected. Then you are alone, 
but they don't want to be alone. They, I'm sorry. I'm. Well, this is they'll, they'll go fam- find. They'll go find another family. You know, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what a story that would be! Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, they didn't like what their like, family did. Knock so. on the door. Hey, so uh, I hate my children. <laughs> I hate my kids. I hate my children. I want to start a new family. I'm going to get a different different, uh, area code. Right. Because if it's a different area code, it doesn't count. Pretty much. That's kind of how it is. Can I live with you? (laughs) Can I stay here (laughs) with you? (laughs) Oh, Oh my my God. God. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring them up is that sacrifices in their honor are practiced to make them participate in the lives of their kin and to appease and reconcile them in cases of anger. These sacrifices can include offering what's left of the evening meal, or if the domovoys, the domovi. Here's some bones we left on our pork chops. Um, also, these are the mushy peas we didn't want to eat. <laughs> we didn't want to eat this, the fat. Do you like this? <laughs> do, you, do you like this? But if, if they're very angry, they have to sacrifice a cock at midnight mm-hmm. and sprinkle the nooks and corners of the common hall of the court or the courtyard with the animal's blood. Mm, salmonella. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> the Domovoy is believed to be somehow connected with the house building itself, not just the family, but also to the place. Mm-hmm. So when a family moves to a new place, they would perform sacrifices to invite the god to inhabit the home. Oh, the I new see. Home with them. I like that tradition, though. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. I like those traditions because we we talked about in Jake and the Leprechaun, yeah. the Rowan Root, uh, tr- mm-hmm. the Rowan Tree, how you when you move into a new place, it's tradition in that culture to plant a Rowan Tree. Mm-hmm. I like that. You move to a new place and you like invite, you invite you the invite ancestor, this you god. invite it's the a, god. It's a deity. It's a, you know, they, they believe yeah. it to be on that level. It's not just a spirit. Mm. It's it's the god that you worship and, and care for. Interesting. Beyond an actual god or ancestor inhabiting a place, in classical Roman religion, mm-hmm. there was a belief in what's called a genius loci. Loci? L-O-C-I, like location. No. And this is essentially a sentient, protective spirit of a given place. Okay. They were depicted in religious iconography as a figure holding attributes such as a cornucopia or a snake. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me more of the idea of like a mascot. Okay. Because they were contained to specific local areas. So something of like a territorial spirit. Yes. That resides in a specific place. Right. They kind of have their boundary line and that is where they live. And that's where they stay. I feel like that's a very common haunted house. Yeah, kind like, of. This is the if, this if is the boundary. it's a space of a haunted home, this is the space. This is where you reside. Yeah. And interestingly, Roman emperors would often expand the reach of their genius as they expanded their empires. They wanted people to worship their area, hmm. and basically, they were expanding their area and the spirit of their area as they conquered. Interesting. They were also heavily used in landscaping. And outdoor spirit houses in a lot of Asian cultures. Okay. This this idea that there's this spirit of this place and you'd want to give them a place to live and you'd want them to like the landscape and place where they were living. You'd want to please them. Yeah. And yeah. in more modern and also fictional discussions, this has also become synonymous with a sentient place like the organisms of a local area coming together to be helpful or antagonistic like in Avatar or maybe Vecna's hive mind in the Upside Down. (laughs) Hey. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to stop referencing Stranger Things. Stop apologizing. But that could also be considered an eldritch location. Have you heard of those? I know the word eldritch. Right. 
an eldritch location, just applying the word to the location, hmm. basically a dark, unsettling place where the laws of physics and geography and other laws of our land never seem to function properly. Basically like... It's a liminal space. It's a liminal space. It's a dark layer. It's the the layer of the villain, etc. Like labyrinth. Like labyrinth. Mm. And that brings me to what you mentioned earlier, the Arabic jinn. Yeah. All right. So these entities, including genies, are capable of assuming various forms and exercising extraordinary powers. Mm-hmm. Also, maybe, as you said, granting wishes to humans that engage with them. Because they're fae folk. They are. Fae folk. They sure are. Just of a different culture. Yes. Belief in jinn was very common in pre-Islamic Arabia, and they were thought to inspire poets and soothsayers. Mm -hmm. And they're even mentioned in the Quran, and they present in Islam as a parallel race to humans. Hmm. And they're also capable, just as we are, of choosing, you know, good or evil paths for themselves. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Quoting from Britannica.com, In common folklore, jinn are capable of assuming human or animal form and are said to dwell in all conceivable inanimate objects, stones, trees, ruins, and underneath the earth, in the air, and in fire, almost tying them into animism. Underneath the earth? Okay. Yeah. In a basement. They possess the bodily needs of human beings, such as the need to eat, and can even be killed. Mm -hmm. And they are free from all typical physical restraints. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jinn delight in punishing humans for any harm done to them, intentionally or unintentionally. Yes. And they're said to be responsible for many diseases and all kinds of accidents. Yeah. However, those human beings that know the practical, magical procedure can exploit the jinn to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Basically, you just have to know how to navigate them. It's a fairy. Yeah. It's a fairy. Would you rather go up against a European fairy or like an Arabic jinn? Mm. If you had to like... If you had two passageways, two tunnels. I think fairies are almost always mean, and I don't have a lot to, I don't stand to gain a lot from a fairy, whereas a djinn could grant me wishes, so probably a djinn. Yeah. <laughs> I think I could figure it out. Okay. I'm not a manipulative person, but uh, <laughs> if they can choose good or evil, I can convince them to choose good and But if you me. had to go up against one that's pissed, oh, that hates you. That, probably a fairy. a fairy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> if I they're do definitely not. evil, then yeah, probably a fairy. If I have to pick one to piss off, I'm, pip- I'm pissing off a fairy. Yeah. I do not want to piss off a gin. Same. Mm-mm. So I can't make it through this without mentioning the English boggart. Yeah. I, I thought the same thing because I've often thought about how Pennywise, the clown, is is very much just a bogger because he's a shapeshifter. Oh, yes. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Not on the show, but so, yes. So not on the show, but- yeah, I was thinking this thing, it uh, it clearly takes a different appearance, a, a, a new visage. Yes. But, I mean, we'll get into it, but my, my issue is that it isn't the same every time. It's not, yes. Even though it's the same human. Yes. So, but, yeah, yeah a boggart, yes. They are almost always considered malevolent, and the household boggart will follow its family wherever they flee to. Mm. And it is said that the boggart crawls into people's beds at night and puts <clears throat> clammy hands on their faces. God, boggarts are so scary. Ugh. In some areas, such as Northumberland, it was believed that helpful household sprites could turn into malevolent boggarts if offended or ill-treated. I see. And in northern England, there was a belief that the boggart should never be named, for when the boggart was given a name, it couldn't be reasoned with anymore or persuaded. But it would become uncontrollable and destructive. It was given autonomy and independence. Yeah. 
Dobby's a free elf. <laughs> and within the folklore of Northwest England, yeah. boggarts can cause mischief in homes, but they tend to live outdoors in marshland, holes in the ground, under bridges, mm. and on dangerous sharp bends in roads. Yeah. And when a person got lost in the marsh and was never seen again, the people were sure that a boggart had caught the poor unfortunate and devoured him. Wow. That's scary. So sometimes they eat people. Sometimes they eat people. Which is why I thought they earned an honorable mention here. Is the but is the traditional boggart? Does it take the appearance of what you're most afraid of? That was my understanding of boggarts. That's kind of how I have always thought, but it didn't expressly say that. I think that it just kind of said hmm. they can change shape. Oh, okay. So there wasn't well, a whole lot maybe... on what I read about how they tie into your fear necessarily. Hmm. So it could just be that it can shape shift and also eat you. Yes. But finally, I'm sure that you've heard of this in your research about elves and dwarves, etc. Have you heard of the Germanic kobold? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So this was really an early legend that kind of gave rise to the more popularly known goblin, as we've discussed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, these are mischievous household spirits also. But the word potentially goes back to the Greek word for rogue. Okay. And it's obviously, as many of these things are, as we learned in the Sorcerer's Apprentice, it's rooted in paganism. Yeah. Quoting from Britannica.com again, Usually they help with chores and give other valuable services, but often hide household and farm tools or kick over stooping persons. <laughs> they are temperamental and become outraged when not properly fed. Mm. And sometimes they sing to children. Oh, some kobolds have been called the spirits of caves and mines, which sounds to me just enough like a root cellar to make sense. Hey, oh, yeah. We've got singing, we've got caves. Mm -hmm. um, but my hang up with the kobold is that most traditions describe them as being dwarf or gnome like in appearance, if they can be seen at all. Right. So, so lots of crossover, lots of like meshing together of different. We're having, yeah, I'm, I'm getting a lot of meshing together of a lot of these different traditions. So there's a lot for us to keep in mind as we keep moving through the episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are even a ton of potential ties that I missed mm. that could tie in here. Gotcha. But it seems like there was no shortage of lore to create some kind of household entity that was quite frightening as right. it turned out. <laughs> Honestly, pretty scary. <laughs> So back in our story, Andy has just been spoken to by this demon in the root cellar, and our Midnight Society commentary comes up really quick this time, but I really liked Very it. Very fast. Because yeah. it was a lot of oohs and ahs, and it felt yeah. more like a genuine fireside summer camp kind of moment. Right, right. Ooh, boogeyman in the basement. I love it. She would. You okay, Frank? And Frank has disappeared. Frank? And Eric claims it's because he couldn't handle the story. Where'd he go? Nobody saw I Frank walk me. away. Nobody, Nobody saw around him. this fire apparently saw Frank walk away. And I mean, this story only really like heated up when we added power, Frank. Like we, <laughs> the power turning <laughs> yeah, on was the, the lights thing. <laughs> turned on, Frank. You don't have to be afraid. It's not happening in the dark. Not really. You don't have to be afraid of the dark, Frank. Andy brings his mom down to help investigate. And I really love the recap that he gives her when he does this. Yeah. He's like, it talked to me. It said, come in and I'll suck your blood or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And he just said, come He's like in. totally exaggerating. And we've all done this, you know, when something terrifying happens and your memory kind of goes offline and you fill yeah, in the yeah. missing blanks with even scarier stuff. It's the stuff that you thought of originally when you like, that's why you ran away. Oh yeah. Worst but case scenario. Just, you present that almost like this is how scary this it is was. The fact. Here are all the things. Mm -hmm. These are the things. But you, yeah, they're made up. Right. But 
I appreciate the mom in this because I have always said, if my kid oh, God, comes yes. to me in the middle of the night and yep. says, there's a man in my closet, yep. I'm going to believe my kid every single me time. Too. My God. I'm not brushing off my kid. In this case, Mama Bear arms herself with a hockey stick mm. and she bravely goes and pokes around in the basement searching for this entity that has tried to suck her son's blood. <laughs> um, and honestly, mark this down as a reason that I don't have kids right now because they see things and that's not yeah, cool. Yeah, also that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not why I don't have kids, but that's why I guess that's a good reason to not It's to a pretty good reason kids. not to. It's up there with good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but she opens the door to reveal the empty root cellar, and she immediately claims it must have been a rat yeah. or a leaky old plumbing or any number of other things, even the radio, as he discusses it with her. Mm -hmm. And they start to inspect it. And, of course, that makes sense. Like, whew. And then yeah. she lays it on super thick with Andy. She throws her arm around him and mm. tells him that she really needs him to be strong for her. I know this has been really hard for you, but I need you to be the man that your father never was. Honestly, yes. And I feel like this is one of the primary methods of parenting in the 90s. Sure. You just kind of leaned on your kid because that was what you had in this new era of, you know, women trying to make it and that whole idea you just kind of had this built-in support and yeah. really i'm here to say ask for help when you need it and ask for help from the appropriate sources please um yeah parent child otherwise just ask from the appropriate source and don't parentify and overburden your children with these things hey stop making your kids pay your bills and and clean your floors with toothbrushes because it will come back to haunt them later <laughs> yeah there is such thing as growing up too fast. Yeah. 90s, emotionally unintelligent. Yikes. It's bad. The next day, we see Coda, who is scrubbing his front stoop, and he's being- Super badass guy. Yeah. Reduced what a cool to guy. scrubbing the, the stairs. And he's being yelled at by this shirtless man, which we must assume is his father, his caregiver <laughs> in some way. Shirtless man in Beetlejuice pants. <laughs> in Beetlejuice pants. <laughs> which- I, I want those pants, all right? I mean, I'm not going to lie hey, and say I don't. They're cool pants. They're cool. The guy wearing them, though, seems to be kind of uh, kind of rude, kind of mean. And don't give me no lip. You want an allowance? You earn it. Yeah, yeah. I get stepdad vibes. Yeah, definitely. Maybe stepdad. And don't give me no lip. Yeah, the classic bully origin story. Mm -hmm. He's got a rough home life, and it felt kind of Hey Arnold to me, also. <laughs> it kind of did, yeah. And... I feel like there are more efficient ways of completing the task that he's trying to complete and scrubbing the steps outside by hand. Power washer. Right. That's what I was thinking. But naturally, Andy is on his paper route at this point, and he accidentally hits the bucket of suds with his newspaper. Oh man, you're gonna die. And this spills all over Coda, which takes some really interesting cinematic geometry to make it work. Yeah, it does. And Those physics don't really line up. Not quite. It's just the height of the bucket. I don't know. Watch for yourself. Let us know what you think. The angle doesn't... The angle yeah. just doesn't quite work. And also, a bundle of papers is not gonna knock over a bucket, a bucket full, of full of water. Right? <laughs> It may have, have, it may have fallen brick. into the bucket, like, but yeah, that'd be really He would have tough. had to wrap that paper around a brick <laughs> and throw it for that to knock that over. And not even then. Questionable physics here on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm. But of course, it spills all over Coda, and Coda chases Andy, and Andy pries open the outer door, like the cellar door of the basement. You know, it's the flat against the house. Yeah. And yeah. he barricades himself inside, and now Andy's stuck in the basement. Once again. He's... In the dark, trying to get back to the stairs, and he reminds himself that he's got to be strong. Got to be strong. 
and he does so just in time to be spooked by his little sister Christina taunting him. Boom! <sighs> What's the matter? I thought you were afraid of me. What are you doing down here? And then she calls him a wuss, which classic don't 90s insult. Morning. I don't have a list, but it's it should be on there. I did make a list this time. <laughs> I failed to do that. Yeah. Uh, but later upstairs, Andy begins questioning his mom about their uncle, and he's doodling a picture of the cellar door. So he's drawing it, and. We hear Donkey Kong sound effects from the TV, <laughs> which was a nice touch, I will admit. It was good. But their mom is clearing debris from their fireplace. And now, the fireplace. And she explains that her uncle was a strange man. He never left the house, but somehow got filthy rich. Nobody knows where the money came from. <laughs> from what I hear, the neighbors didn't like him too much. I thought he was kind of loony. Mm-hmm. I figure he's living your dream, Christian. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I thought that. Probably I was other like, than the part about the neighbors thinking that you're loony, but you probably take or leave that. I think that. my neighbors think I'm loony yeah, anyway. So. Already. They already do, so I don't have to, you know, Might as wish well for just, that at all. you know, get filthy rich, I guess. No, this guy, seriously, just living the dream. The, the, only, the only dream difference would be that the house is much bigger. And not haunted by a demon, but, you know. Well, also <laughs> not surrounded by neighbors. Also that. Yes. I'd be like, let's move this party elsewhere. <laughs> you and me, guy, let's move. Let's go. Let's go to the woods. Mm-hmm. Take to the sea. Well, the woods will do fine. <laughs> when Andy asks how her uncle died, she explains that he was old and just stopped living. Which, <laughs> okay. I guess it happens. She says, I found him in the basement at the bottom. <laughs> let's change the subject. And she stops herself. But I'm sorry, Mama. You've already said too much. <laughs> You've already said too much. So they found this guy dead, dead at, the, at bottom the bottom of, the, of stairs. the stairs in the basement. I see. So, yeah, well. Not good. We, apparently this, this thing good. can't. This thing can give you anything you want except for long life. Eternal life. Long life. Eternal life. I don't know. We'll talk about it because I'm not sure how I feel about all this. I know what it's like to discover that somebody died in my house. Yeah, it's, it's not, not fun. a fun time. Not a fun time at all. No, I had a hard time with it. You did, I recall. But as is the plight of an older sibling with a bratty younger sibling that the parent does not want to cross. Don't interrupt the balance. <clears throat> not that, like I have any experience with that at all. Oh, sure. Um, no. Mm. What's up, Carrie? How you doing? <laughs> Sorry, Carrie. Love you. We had, we had, our childhood was different than it is now. We, we get along now. But poor Andy is once again relegated to the basement. This time, he's asked to change the laundry. Remember, there's nothing down there. And as he's working and he's listening to music again, which, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I was thinking about that too. I was like, I would turn on music going into that basement because it scared me. And because, yes, yes, exactly. Do you ever do you ever do that? Like, oh, sure. You would either turn a TV on Absolutely. if you're All home alone time. and you're scared. All like, the well, time. when I was a kid, I would turn the TV on in my parents' house if I was home alone. Me too. Because it was just noise. Because that ha- my parents' house is scary. Yeah. Anything common, happy. Absolutely. If you pretend like it's normal, it's normal. Mm-hmm. I do that all the time. So I get the impulse. I went from, why turn on music every single time you go into this basement to, oh, that makes sense. Also, I don't do any chores without music or a podcast, even now. That too. I just don't. Now I was like, but I, I just got AirPods <laughs> recently <laughs> exactly. so that I can constantly listen to Oh man, listen my to AirPods changed my life. Podcasts. I have that in my yeah. notes, actually. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was annoyed and then I went to like, wait, actually, this is quite realistic. It checks out. Yeah. I also hunted 
all over the place to see if it was a real song that's playing in this scene. Because it, to me, it's like very reminiscent of the Eagles. That's what I it, picked yeah. up. I was thinking like 70s rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. but I it, it didn't have a name. Mm-hmm. But it's playing on this classic yellow boombox. And I loved my boombox. Oh my God, mine was blue, but I loved it. Hmm. And I don't know. For me, I feel like I would have learned my lesson the first time and I would have paid attention to that cellar door when I turned on the music just to make sure. Yeah, well. But he doesn't. There's a half description to do with uh, being in a trance or something. Right. Later for this next one. Yeah, later we hear later, but I don't know that he was the first time. Happened so fast. The rules change every time he's down there, so I don't really know. Actually, that's true. So at this point, one of the better known Are You Afraid of the Dark ghouls emerges from the root cellar. This is a life-size blonde doll, and it appears to my grown-up eyes to be a person in a suit. And my God, if that is not so much more horrifying than an actual doll would be. It's super spooky. Oh, man. Um, It asks Andy to come and play. We can have lots of fun. Just come with me. And kind of puts him in a trance, like you said. And the way that the mouth is moving... Yeah. Combined with the weird slow-mo effect that we have, <laughs> that would have definitely put me off of dolls for a while as a kid. Uh, yeah. That's a lot. But um, it, pretty dark. Pretty, pretty dark. dark. I, I have issues with how this thing is trying to lure this 12-year-old boy into the root cellar. It reaches out for him with the hand. It well, like extended. first first it's this creepy ass voice. Yes. I mean, it's pitch black with the glowing red eyes. And that's supposed to be enticing? Like, hey, come inside here in the dark. Maybe he didn't think he needed that much time. He was just going to grab him. I mean, maybe. But now it's like, I'll entrance you with this pretty, pretty blonde girl. Well, it realized it needed to be a little more uh, crafty. I mean, but that kid doesn't play with dolls. You know what I mean? I don't know. Doesn't. But dolls are scary. And this is already afraid of the dark. (laughs) Yeah, I I get that too. But it's trying to lure him into... I don't know. Yeah, no, I I understand your point. You make total sense. I I'm not sure why it would choose a doll form to lure him in. Like my mind goes to like sex doll. Ew. Because I mean that's kind of what it looks like. It's I mean huge I'm like and eh, you know I don't know. Ugh. He's twelve. Please no God. But it just ends up being scary. Yeah. So this thing has no idea what people actually want until it grants an actual wish. I guess. Whatever. But the other thing it's is confusing. that I think it just wants to eat Andy at this point. So it's just trying whatever it can to No, that's exactly my point. Mm-hmm, to pull him in, which your point is that wouldn't be it wouldn't work. enticing. Yeah. But it has this supernatural power to hypnotize or entrance the victim. So it may not matter. Yeah. But you're right. I don't know why at all. I think that's more just the nature of the show. <laughs> than an actual plot point. I'm trying to make it make sense, and apparently it doesn't. Apparently not. I don't think so. But whenever Andy's mom calls for him at this point, the doll becomes manic. Hurry! Please hurry! This part scared me. It scared me too. Uh, Andy's mom trips the power upstairs, and the doll screeches and screams and flies backward into the root cellar. quite scary and this releases andy from his hypnosis and eric explains like you were you were saying that he didn't remember what happened right so he didn't know enough to avoid the basement in the future yeah but i just just don't get it i don't get these rules i don't get it i don't get the rules either don't know whatever but the following day latchkey andy arrives home on his red bicycle to a note from his mom asking him to do her another favor and put more things in the wash of course all of our clothes are dirty (laughs) (laughs) He does so, and when he does, naturally, he switches on the radio again. 
again, I understand the simples. I don't, like I said, I don't do chores without music or podcasts or whatever. Same. But I also kind of like to think that this was DJ's effort at making that classic horror, like, don't do that, he's right behind you, don't yeah, do that. Yeah. Don't do it again. To, to bring that down to a kid's level. Because at this point, you've now, as a child, seen two interactions with this entity. Yeah. And you, as a child, are 100% sure that it's the music. Yeah, gotta know by now. So... I think it was just bringing that classic horror, like yelling at the character, no, don't do it, don't do it. Don't go in the basement. The music shifts from this generic guitar to a hollowed out calliope sounding tune on every channel. Remember that night I made you yes, I do. listen to all that calliope music? Yes, I do. That was Because fun. I even have it here in my notes. I said, <laughs> we love music, but we don't do calliope music around here. <laughs> No. no, no. I love to reference it and use it in fiction, mm. but I don't. Christian and I both hate it. Ah. And I am convinced that it summons Awful. bad things into my life. It's haunted. Mm. If, if if there is haunted music, it's Calliope music. The last time. So he sent me, he found this, Christian found this listener. I'm speaking to you now, listener. <laughs> I feel like it's confusing. Christian found this Calliope music and sent it to me one night. He was like, oh, isn't this so scary? I was like listening to it. I was like, yeah, I don't like hearing that. I don't like listening. I was like going to bed. I was like, I don't like it being in my head. I kid you not. Five minutes later, maybe less, a roach, a tree roach. <laughs> I've never had one in my bedroom ever in my life. Yeah. A tree roach lands on my arm in my bed. Yeah. Calliope music. A winged palmetto bug, eh? Ugh. I hate, oh, I hate thinking about it. Yeah, I was just researching oh for a, a novella mm. that I'm working on, but. I ruined your night, so sorry. Yeah, you ruined my night with Calliope music. It, was, it also was like one in the morning. Yeah, I yeah it I was in the like, middle of the night. Hey, I'm up. I'm drinking whiskey and listening to Calliope music. <laughs> you want in? <laughs> and you were like, I guess. Yeah, I regret it now. I'm surprised you're still awake, but whatever. The door of the cellar opens to reveal a whole ass carnival and carnival barker swirling and spinning what? and luring Andy in with the glowing lights. And I would say this would be more effective than doll. Yeah. For sure. It's menacing. But Carnival Lights, I have a hard time resisting those two. Never seen. That's right, son. Don't delay. We've got all kinds of surprises in here. It's like green screen on green screen on green screen. Yes. <laughs> the shot. <laughs> Truly, it's like swirling it's green funny. screen. Yeah. And the Carnival Barker was played by A.J. Henderson. All right. He was one of this episode's more prolific actors. He's been voice acting since 1969. Dang. In roles such as Baloo in a 1990 Jungle Book TV series. No way. He worked on The Kids from Room 402. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a Fox Family animated series from the early yeah. 2000s. It kind of has a mm -hmm. Weekenders sort of vibe to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Starred Andrew Lawrence. Uh, he also provided voices for Fred's head, just like Matthew McKay from Sorcerer's Apprentice. No way. And he has voiced Ed Crosswire in Arthur since the series began. Interesting. Check these people out. He comes back as Mr. Olsen in The Tale of the Pinball Wizard. But that is a story for another day. Another day very soon, actually. Quite soon. Yeah, this year. This year. He gave me not necessarily Zebo voice actor, because we know who played Zebo. Yes. But- I'm thinking more of the the laugh, mm -hmm. like Zebo's laugh. He definitely has he that had that laugh sound to his down. voice. I thought maybe that was the same person, but as a hypnotized Andy approaches, very slowly, we get this jump scare because the Barker reaches out to grab his hand and suddenly becomes a skeleton, which I thought was mm -hmm. so cool. cool. It was so badass and pretty pretty scary. Yeah. He says, oh, "Don't 
stop now, son. You're almost dead. What's the matter, Andy? Don't you want to have some fun? I love that. Ooh, it's chilling. It's so Pennywise. It's so classic. There's yeah, it's so Pennywise. That's that's it's what so it is. Great. There's oh, so it. many classic horror tropes that are playing through in this episode, mm-hmm. there which are. I love. Music. It's music. Having cracked the code by exclaiming, it's music, which, duh, Andy takes off on his red bicycle to find his mom. Yeah, he's got to tell her like immediately. He can't wait for her just to come home. Yeah, got to tell mom. Can't even wait. Got to tell her, which, okay. I mean, I, I guess I understand that. So here goes our music tangent. All right, here we go. We all know that music can transport us. I have memories attached to pretty much every song I've ever heard, and they all wind their way back to me when they're played. From childhood backyard boomboxes blaring Britney Spears to my British pop rock phase in high school. British pop rock. Oh, yeah. Lots of British pop rock. McFly, anybody? Uh, To my moody post-college Ryan Adams phase, which we all have our feelings about him now. Each one of these things, eras, songs, takes me to a specific feeling, person, or place. And in fact, research shows that when you combine words and music, information is moved from the left side to the right side of the brain where the long-time memories are stored. Didn't know that. Pretty great. And it makes a lot of sense for me in my life. As you said, I know a lot of lyrics. I'm a lyrics person. I pay attention to the lyrics very heavily. Yeah. And music is one of the most important things in my entire life. And it may feel like possession or hypnosis in each of our own little worlds when these things happen, when these memories assault us. Mm -hmm. However, in the case of this episode, it seems like the music is the thing that the thing wants more than a vehicle being used to hypnotize Andy. It's like it wakes the thing up. It awakens this entity. There's also something I looked up when I was trying to figure out what this thing could be. And it's a website I've gone to a couple times just sort of to refresh my memory. It's like hauntedoc.com. Yeah. They have a page that's types of hauntings. And they have something toward the bottom that's kind of glossed over, but it's called a a portal haunting. Oh. So it's- Yeah. (laughs) That actually makes a lot of sense for this. It's not necessarily- uh, like an entity, but it mm-hmm. it acts as a bridge between two worlds or dimensions. And so, Let's in this here. case, the root cellar is just a portal to somewhere else. Kind it's of. kind of like what happens with a Ouija board sometimes. Yeah, you open a portal. Yeah, but like Duh. that makes a lot of sense. If it already exists there, it's some. It's like the music bridges the two dimensions the music is what opens the portal it's so it had to have been like originated somehow that the root cellar would be this doorway Mm -hmm. but the music itself is the key that unlocks that door because when you open it without music it's just an empty root it's just a root we saw this right Mm -hmm. so once there's music playing then something lives there so it's almost like it comes from a different place wow and because it hears the music and so it's able to open that door i don't really know how or why but that makes a lot of sense Yeah, a portal haunting the music opening the portal or bridging the gap is so spooky yeah like well done dj yeah (laughs) yeah he keeps kind of nailing it with these that's he takes these little concepts that are super spooky and then just cranks up the dial yeah yes there is something happening between the music and this supernatural creature. Yeah. Ultimately, music is one of the greatest accomplishments or gifts that humanity has to offer, which makes it no surprise that this is across many, maybe even the majority of world religions. It's associated with being pleasing to a higher power 
or the supernatural, if you will. Oh, yeah. So I thought I would just go on a little bit of a dive about music being offered as a sacrifice or something pleasing to a higher power. Let's do it. Of course. Let's dive. Because of our upbringing, one of the first associations that I make is with Christian worship. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean Christian the person. I mean- I mean, you can worship me if you want, but (laughs) I mean, it won't get you much. (laughs) Nearly all Christian denominations and faiths make it a point to praise God in song. Similar to ritualistic offerings of animal sacrifice, music in Christianity is often seen as a covenant-making or covenant-entering act. Many denominations use instruments to aid in this. Organs can be found in many of the oldest Catholic and Protestant churches across the world. Yeah. The particular fundamental group that I grew up with, for example, though, was adamant in their doctrine that music offered to God should be a cappella, yeah. human voices only, as instruments instruments were not expressly mentioned as an example of worship in the New Testament. Right. But regardless of these differences, the idea of music, singing, chanting is incredibly widespread in Christianity. And I'm sure everybody listening, if you have any association with any Christian faith, can think of examples of this. Yep. I can. (laughs) The same is true of both ancient and modern Judaism. Yep. Obviously, the biblical Old Testament is filled with music and instruments, harps, lyres, cymbals, Uh, trumpets. Much of Jewish worship was performed without instruments in the time after the temple was destroyed. Mm -hmm. In a traditional synagogue now, the majority of the service is chanted or sung out loud, and the Torah reading is also chanted. And different melodies are used for the prayers and Torah readings on weekdays, Shabbat, and holidays. And so this kind of forms a calendar in song. Right. Honestly, if you're familiar with their traditions, you can know what time of year it is just by what they're singing or chanting. Hmm which is kind of cool cool. because it's all for its own time. Just like in Christian denominations, different regional and ethnic Jewish groups tend to tailor their worship music to their local styles and customs. There are a lot of different regional Jewish traditions. Huh, yeah. And I am making such a generalization of all of this. I'm blanket statementing (laughs) that right now. Like that is, I am going through a lot of the world religions in a very quick pace. So I am leaving out a lot of stuff and it's just a summary. Naturally. Don't, don't it's just worry. a podcast episode, not a whole semester of lecturing. Not a semester of world religions class, which I promise you I would love to engage in if I could. I have before. I love my world religions class. Islam views the universe as a symphonic orchestra full of sound, rhythms, tones, beats, mm. and all of these form synchronized harmony in unison that are perfectly composed and directed by the creator. Allah. Okay. And this is considered the most magnificent of any musical composition, and it's a gift of Allah's great love for mankind. Hmm. But in Islam, music is hotly debated because in terms of sacrifice or homage, different factions celebrate and use music very differently. Hotly. Both the Islamic call to prayer and the art of reciting the Quran have influenced artistic expression in Muslim culture. Islamic worship incorporates music into worship, but not in the same sense as Christian choral or organ music. The call is an art form that utilizes tonal variation and rhythm in the human voice. And while most practitioners and scholars agree that music containing pagan, sensual themes, or subliminal messages are clearly forbidden, some scholars consider consider music free of such themes to be permissible. So they're very controlled with what type of music is allowed, but it is still important in their tradition, basically. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. And again, I'm just completely summarizing because there are 
probably plenty of factions of Islam that love music and there are some that just don't. But it's kind of in similar fashion to Christianity where yeah. you can use music in good or bad ways, I guess. You can lean into the more bass rhythmic music or you can make it more melodious and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's It sounds like it's um it's a it depends on how strict or extreme you take your beliefs cuz like kinda. in some of the circles we grew up in people they couldn't they, they frowned upon secular music like you couldn't even listen yeah. to the radio because it wasn't it mm-hmm. wasn't in praise of god yes like i knew people like that yeah me too and meanwhile my parents didn't want me to listen to worship music because it had instruments because it had instruments exactly so i grew up going yeah. to baptist church but went to church of christ school mm-hmm. so i never understood like why they were such at such odds because mm-hmm. yeah the school i was going to our chapel music was all acapella yep. and i'd be like we use instruments in my church <laughs> and people would be like gas <gasps> how yeah. scandalous you're going to hell pretty much you baptist heathen <laughs> it's so funny because i was in the opposite situation where nobody understood what i did well same situation nobody understood what i did at church but my yeah. school friends were all baptist yeah yeah because i went to church with all of your school friends <laughs> you sure did <laughs> right 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 it was it was inverse. We had the inverse. That's that's why we, we fit together like tongue and groove. We're like Aww. we're tongue and groove friends. We are because yeah. you know how it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? <laughs> so sweet. Music is also an important facet of Sikhism. Okay, yeah. Their primary holy book contains songs which praise God and reveal His nature and give guidance on how to live a good life. It sounds so strikingly similar to like what I grew up with, yeah. but these hymns are mainly written in Punjabi and each copy of the book has 1,430 pages hmm. and each hymn is found on the same page in every copy of the book and there are no spaces between the words so that nothing can be added to them. Interesting. And it's also very difficult to read, as you can imagine, because there is so little space. Very similar to Sikhism, which is just sick guitar riffs. <laughs> just all the entire worship session is just oh, don't I wish. wailing on that. That would be fun. But this book is very difficult to read, so people have to be taught how to read it, and not everybody can. So a lot of people memorize the hymns and they recite them in devotions at home and in worship. Mm. And each hymn has like a traditional Tune. Like Book of Eli. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> he's blind, so he has to. He's, he's, he's blind, memorized. So he has to recite it and memorize the, it. the, the Bible. Uh-huh. Man, you just spoiled some stuff. <laughs> if you haven't seen Book of Eli by now, you're spoiling your own life. What are you doing with yourself? Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to see it if you haven't seen it by now. I am also just generalizing the hell out of this, but I read a fascinating article on the rhythm of possession by Sam Mickey on Nomos Journal, which is like a blog for pop culture. And it addresses some, again, I emphasize some Afro-musical religious traditions. And he explains that these Afro traditions are everywhere. And this is quoting from him. Mm -hmm. The inheritance of a cross-rhythmic complexity that is indicative of religious participation in the world, a dynamic and open-ended participation in the intersection and interpenetration of opposites like the sacred and the profane, awake and entranced, dancing and healing, possessor and possessed, Mm -hmm. the self and the other, and many other opposites in juxtaposition. Furthermore, that legacy is a legacy of religious oppression, of course, because everything to do with the Afro-tradition unfortunately, has that 
cast over it. Right. Throughout the slave trade and the colonial period, Afro-Atlantic traditions were not considered secular or non-religious. Their rhythms and trances were more often considered evil and diabolical. And it's interesting that now to this day, a lot of popular music shares that legacy, mm-hmm. however implicitly. Sam Mickey says, of course, there are differences. I wouldn't want to classify rock or hip hop as diaspora traditions uh, or equate their struggles. But popular music is descendant from these Afro traditions. Yeah. And it's now seen as some would say, like you were just saying earlier, evil or vulgar, etc. And it isn't. It's a different type of tradition and it trickles down from a different type of tradition. Right. Right. So. It, all of the crossover there was very interesting to me, but all of this to say, humanity has a very long and complicated history in all of our facets, really all parts of the world and everywhere that we're from, of interacting with perceived higher powers. And it is mm-hmm. very fascinating to me that in nearly every example that we can find, music is involved in some way. It's always tied in somehow. It's tied in everywhere. Hmm. And I mean, like I said, I would did a very general, but that's like most of the areas of the world practice one of these religions or an offshoot of them. Mm-hmm. I didn't even go into Asian traditions, but there's music in Asian yeah. and meditation and chants and all these things in pretty much all Asian religions also. It's very spiritual. Music has always been considered this very spiritual, ethereal mm-hmm. uh, gift, this offering that humans, exactly. it's, it's something that humans can create Yes, that just exist outside of the human being. It's something more than it's us. It's really strange. It is as natural to us as breathing. And part of nearly all world cultures almost universally recognize music, as you just said, as magical, mm-hmm. or at the very least, possessing a power greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. So to me, it's no wonder that DJ took the opportunity to fold it into the fabric of a very lore-heavy show like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, it's not necessarily a god that's in this basement, but... That interplay between humanity and supernatural beings or powers, I couldn't ignore just the intense musical connection. It has the power of a god. It does. Like, it it has the persona of a god. It does. It doesn't not. I mean, it- It doesn't not. It can give and take away, right? Mm -hmm. It can create and it can destroy. Very few things are given that level of power and responsibility in this, yeah. in, in our world. And I don't know that I would go so far as to say that the music is offered to this thing, but I can say that we, and now Andy, know that the power of this music is what is awakening this being. And in this instance, the being probably would have been better off left sleeping. Absolutely. I think beasts are always left, but best left sleeping. sleeping. Let sleeping dogs lie, as they say. We should leave the Snorlax where it is. <laughs> no, we always wake up the Snorlax. That's how you get to the next uh, area of Pokemon. Or it's how it attacks you and kills you. and Or that. And you start life. over at your last save point And you're like, oh, again? Again? Unfortunately, Andy never finds his mom because he instead runs right smack into Coda. Nice day for a ride, isn't it? What does he find? A fist in the face. <laughs> and yeah, Coda punches him, which go, listener, if you if you hate this episode, if you just can't stand oh, it, then just go and look up the scene where Coda punches Andy. Even if you hate and this episode. And just tell me that's not 90s gold. Just go hate watch it, you know? It's fine. It, 
oh my god, he punches him in the face. But does he? <laughs> but does he really? Um, Looks I'm like pretty he sure misses. you can tell that he misses. <laughs> oh, it's bad. And then he says, "Get used to it, kid. I'm gonna beat on you for the rest of your life." Oh my god, what a commitment! It is a commitment. But how often? Bullies are committed. Bullies are committed. Bullies. That's just. They have it, to that's got to be because he feels like his dad's going to bully him for the rest of his life. Coda tosses Andy's bike into the road where it is hopelessly mangled by a dump truck. I think for real. He crushes his shiny red bicycle. I think it's real. Like, I don't think they faked that. I think they ran over this bike. That's a practical effect if I've ever seen one. Practical, <laughs> practical effect. But what a good throw because it went he did. right it under the bike. I mean, under the right, tire. Yeah, under the tires of this dump truck. It was a good shot. And we also get this guitar riff like gnarly. now you've got to deliver your stupid papers by foot and you'll never get away from me we see this between the legs shot of Koda who's towering over Andy and it seems that this is Andy's breaking point because we see him decide to go home alone but worse on this guy go home alone as in the movie uh-huh got it got it yes he's gonna go Home alone. He saw my notes. It was home dash alone dash but worse. Capital H, capital A. Yes, capitals. Important. He's going to go Macaulay Culkin on his ass. He's going to go Macaulay (laughs) Culkin on his ass. And not the page master Macaulay Culkin. Right. The one from Home Alone. What a funny guy. In a vengeful plot, Andy loads the basement with speakers. I guess the uncle left them behind. Maybe he's learning more about his uncle as he goes as well, because all of his uncle's stuff was still in this house, just like your uh, deceased... Well, former. all of his stuff wasn't in the house, but his tools no, were no, in the no. garage. Not all of it. Yeah, just some. Just some. But Andy wields his trusty newspaper and he snaps the rubber band menacingly. And he decides to lure Coda into the basement. And he does so easily enough Howdy, with a taunt neighbor. about how he makes a good maid. Oh, yeah. Come clean my house when you're done. <laughs> Sweet cheeks. When you're done, come over and clean my house. You make a good maid. You're dead. And while Coda threatens death on Andy, Andy taunts him again. What's the matter, Coda? You're not afraid of the dark, are you? Mm. So he basically lures him into the basement and flips on the power. And this rock music deafens Coda. We see a glowing... Buzz is screaming. He knows this is the climax of the movie. I hear Buzz. Of the show. We see a glowing red light emerge from the root cellar. And that's all we see. Mm. Because presto changeo. Andy creeps down into the basement. And there's no Coda to be found anymore. Coda? Just a shiny new bicycle. It's like Christmas morning. I loved the one Christmas morning I, uh, my parents showed me my new bicycle. Aw, I got a bike for Christmas before too. Yeah, but I didn't have to feed somebody to the basement demon. Just you didn't to, have to kill a guy no, to get a bicycle? Didn't have to kill That's anybody good. just to get it. That's good. It was a gift. I think they killed some money, some cash. Yeah. Just to, get, just to give it to me. That's all that had to die. Mm-hmm. Andy turns on the music again and the thing speaks because he's temporarily satiated it seems and he says it's yours Andy I'll give you anything you want just like I did for your uncle you only have to do one thing feed me feed me I liked the echo yeah it was good Honestly, it was haunting. And we have that same corruption trope again, kind of like we saw in Sorcerer's Apprentice. But as we've kind of talked about, it feels more sacrifice to a deity, a power that has Mm -hmm. or a being that has more power than we're 
even cognizant of. Right, right. So you're sacrificing something to a deity so that it will play nice and appeasing it so that it will help you rather than a servant to a master type of relationship. Right. But the thing that gets me is that in order to avoid all of this darkness, whether it's malicious or simply hungry, all Andy has to do is avoid playing music in the damn basement. <laughs> That's all he has and to do. And then he's home free. That's all he has to do. But yeah. I guess absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just too difficult for a kid who's already being beaten down by the American capitalist society he lives in, in his youth, to resist the temptation of anything he wants. Mm -hmm. Christina whines from upstairs, taunting him again. She's home. She wants him to make her dinner. Right. And the thing cackles, and Andy turns the camera for a very smug close-up. Gives this very menacing look. He, he knows what he needs to do to Christina at this point. He's got his, he, he's got his black eye, and he's like Yeah, he's got his black eye from being punched. shadow. Mm -hmm. Spooky. Spooky. It's pretty spooky. And the Midnight Society is understandably concerned, because, hey, all together now, that's pretty dark. That's pretty dark. <laughs> Not geeky. No, not Kiki. Kiki would have done the same she thing. She, she would have fed. She would have fed the little girl to the monster. She said. Yeah, she said I'd do it. But Eric confirms that he did not feed his sister to the demon, but he made sure that she didn't bother him anymore. Yeah. So I guess she just he just scared her. He probably just did the trick that he tried to pull on Coda, and it, it was successful. It didn't eat her. It didn't actually eat mm -hmm. his sister. Gary closes out the meeting and we get this other jump scare because oh Frank disappears and then reappears. Because paybacks are sweet. Yeah, he takes revenge on Eric God. and he holds the, the light up to his chin, the flashlight that he's stolen from Eric because now Eric's waiting for Frank yeah. to leave. This episode feels like the end of a season. It does. To me. It felt very final. Maybe it was meant to be and then they just- It may have meant, been meant to be. They just rearranged it. But we know it wasn't. It clearly wasn't meant to be two Eric stories back to back, but- Yeah. So we know this wasn't the original order. But some other Midnight Society members have gotten back-to-back -back stories. That's so. what I mean. I, I think they rearranged the whole plan. Yeah. After there was a structure, I think it got all switched around, all kinds of switched around. But who knows? So we've got a few questions. All right. Do you think he intended to feed Coda to the thing? No, absolutely not. Do you think he knew what was going to happen? He had no idea. Okay. It wasn't that malicious on his part. No, because he comes down into the basement. He just thought it was going to scare him. Well, he, he comes down talking to Coda. He does, yes. That's true. He thinks he's just scared. Because mm -hmm. all he knows is that every time he turned off the music, the thing disappeared. He never took into account the fact that if he left the music on for so long that it would get whoever was in the basement. That's true. You're right. He just his, got saved in the nick of time every time. His interactions, yes. He's been saved in the nick of time each time. He was always saved, yeah. So but, how would he know what would happen beyond that moment? No, he had no idea. He, he thought, I'm going to switch off the music at the right moment mm -hmm. and Coda's going to be so scared and so grateful for stopping the thing. That he'll leave me alone. That he'll leave me alone. He never meant to. But yeah. why the thing didn't approach Andy in the first place with that- With the offer. Yeah. Here's my proposal, Andy. Feed me. Yeah. I, I don't know. Because if he ate Andy, then he's left with nobody coming down to the basement turning on the music. I think that's more the thing. I think the thing realizes he needs a partner. <laughs> he needs an earthling. <laughs> well, he had the uncle. Exactly. He needs to replace the uncle as a partner to feed him. That's what I'm saying. Teach a man to fish. <laughs> Teach, Teach a man, a man how to, to fish, fish for, for me. you and he'll bring you your victims to the dark, deep depths of the basement. Eat a man full for a day. Eat a man. <laughs> Teach a man. Teach a man to feed you men. There you go. You're, you're, you're fed. 
<laughs> Man eaters. I don't know. Mm. If I was that thing, I'd have been like, hey, psst, hey, buddy. Hey, pal, mm-hmm. go invite one of your friends over. Go make some friends at school. Mm-hmm. Have a sleepover. Yeah. Scare them all in the basement. Yeah, yeah, play some music. Yeah, you could, he could have been more crafty about it, but mm. he just wanted to eat. He was hungry, I guess. When I get to that point, it, no, I have to plan food mm. beforehand. If I get to the point where I'm just hungry. I'm aware. I'll, I know what happens I'll eat to you when you're hungry. Anything. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I'll eat your vegan mac and cheese. Vegan mac and cheese. Christian was at my house the other week for my birthday, mm-hmm. and- he didn't eat before he came over and I had, I was like the day before I was supposed to grocery shop and I had nothing. And all I had was vegan macaroni and cheese, not even any protein. And I was like, you're not going to like this. And he was like, yes, I am. It was like, tasty. I've thought about that mac and cheese. Since, really? Cause it oh was, my God. it mostly well, tasted I do it special, like Cause it's vegan mac and cheese and it makes, exactly. That's what I like it. Garlic, onion, and red pepper flakes. Right. It was good. I put spices in my vegan mac and cheese because I try to like, help myself forget that I'm not actually eating mac and cheese because I miss mac and cheese so much. Anyway. Yeah. Given what we now know about the basement creature or the basement demon, as the villains wiki calls or it. The basement god. And what we've learned about the lore today. What do you think the creature is? It's a combination of all these things. It's like potentially, I don't think it's a family ancestor. It's possible the uncle built that house. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the uncle did before he discovered this thing in the basement right. or if he just inherited the house. If I'm sticking with the genie thing, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's a gen origin, sure. somebody traveled the world and captured some sort of entity and brought it back to Canada or whatever, United States, wherever this is supposed to mm-hmm. be. And But it wasn't, it didn't originate in the basement. It wasn't born there. You don't think? No, I don't, I don't. I don't think things like that happen. I don't think so either. But not to a house built like in the 70s. Yeah. You know what I mean? 70s. Yeah, probably 70s. Brick fireplace. Whoever it was, I think, traveled and brought something back to the house and then it chose to dwell there. But it's hard to say unless the original owner of the house died there mm. and then something dark took that owner's place Ooh. and inhabited the home because it was a it was left abandoned mm-hmm. maybe yeah and i mean clearly a lot of the lore around these household spirits or deities or entities or whatever they are very territorial and they kind of take what's theirs in their you know mm-hmm. in this in pretty much all of the lore that i read about they take over because it, it doesn't leave it can't leave unless there's music right right so is it trapped in the in the root cellar? Is it Yeah, I don't like, know. It's bound there. It seems like it's bound there. Bound there, it's tied there. That just that's what makes me think somebody captured it and put it there. And then let it live there, but told it it couldn't leave. Ugh. And used Ugh. it to grant wishes. Like yeah. I'll I'll feed yeah. you. I'll feed you if you grant my wishes. But you have to grant my wishes. And that's the question, you know, did the uncle do this? Did the uncle f- happen upon it like Andy did or did the uncle bring it for his own gain? Right. Don't know. Who knows? That's the big question. What did the uncle do? Who was he? Mm-hmm. Who was the uncle? Maybe he was a world traveler before he was the weird guy who, the hermit, the weird hermit who never left his house. Yeah. Actually, that's a pretty good theory. We don't know. Whether this thing was malevolent, mischievous, or just a hungry, all-powerful man-eater. That's, um, well, I'm not a man-eater, but I'm hungry. <laughs> we know that it lives in the root cellar. We know it can shapeshift. We know that it can supernaturally supply wealth and objects. We know that it can hypnotize humans, mm, mm-hmm. and we know that it can eat them. 
That's what we know. That's what we know. So, listener, I will let you make your own call on what exactly. Someone's <laughs> going to be like, it's this exact thing. How did you yeah. guys miss oh, this? Oh, please. Please, God. <laughs> if you know that and I missed it, number one, I'm sorry for making you listen to all this nonsense. Number two, please tell me. I want to know, too. I would love to know. You're like, I've This has sleep. haunted my dreams, my thoughts. These notes uh, have been taking over my life for the past two weeks. Like, I couldn't figure it out either. I tried to I, I tried to research it. I would love to know. If you think it's not a conglomeration of things and is just one entity that you know about, Tell me what that is. I like it, whatever it is. <laughs> I also had trouble extracting any real moral from this story. Hmm. We know that the uncle died. So one more question. Do you think he really just stopped living, like Andy's mom said, or do you think that he stopped paying the piper? Of course, he died at the bottom of the stairs, so they found his body, unlike Coda, Disappears. who ceased to exist and was replaced with a bicycle, seemingly. Right. I think think kind of the fear there, the spooky factor, is you're supposed to kind of assume the thing in the basement got the uncle. Got him. Exactly. Until we learn that the uncle was feeding the thing. Mm -hmm. he, he was old. He was super old. He was old. So I don't think necessarily that he stopped feeding it as a conscious decision. Mm -hmm. Apparently he was made of money, mm -hmm. even though he never left the house. He just kept feeding it. Which I want to see that story. Oh, yeah. I want to see him luring people his life. to his house to feed it. <laughs> yeah, who did he bring and how? Thing. And I think maybe when he got so old, he knew he was going to die. He went down to the basement or he was going to go down to the basement. But he didn't feed himself to it mm -mm. because he would have just disappeared. So mm -hmm. he fell down the stairs. Oh, maybe going to feed it. Yeah, but she says stage. he just died of old age. So it's like, what, did he have like have a heart attack or like? I guess. You don't, if someone dies of natural causes because they're just so old that they stop living, you don't find, find them, at, them the at the bottom, bottom of, of the stairs. stairs. Not usually. So the no. thing in the basement didn't get him. He just was going down to the basement and fell. Conceivably. That's what I think. I don't know. I would say it's pretty dark to consider that the same fate might await Andy if he doesn't keep up the ruse and keep feeding the beast. Right. Or if he does. And he's an old man alone in the basement. He just lives there for the rest of his life. Yeah. He grows up this, there. He's got this pet demon. <laughs> he's the guy who lives with his mom till he's in his 40s. Yeah. Well, she needs his help, clearly. Yeah. Personally, I know I don't want to deal with a suburban basement demon because we know there's enough to worry about in Disturbia. Ooh. See, I was going to say Disturbia. <laughs> you never know what's in the house next door. There could be a, a demon, demon god thing in the root cellar. So you know what it's time for? The scarometer. The scarometer. <laughs> <laughs> the scarometer. That's right. Oh my god, I didn't even think about this. What would you give the dark music? Honestly, the tale of the dark music. I don't want to give it too much praise. I know. But it's a scare it's scary. This concept is. is scary. It is. I think mm -hmm. I'd give it like a 7. I also gave it a 7. Okay. Exactly. That's it's, what's written down. It's yeah. definitely up there. Yeah. Really, the complete obscurity of the entity and the way that it changes and transforms, the hypnosis, the mystery of the uncle's death, mm -hmm. and the immediacy of it being located in the house with no signs of leaving are all things that would have haunted me as a child. Yeah. And right. it also has these sickly sweet voices and these disorienting pleas from the netherworld. Right. There's a lot happening here. It can entice you. It can lure you in. And it's scary. 
And it will use anything it can to get you. It will. It doesn't care. Even the music that you love and need to do your chores. If I had to give up doing, like, give up listening to music while I did chores, I'd never get chores done. Because, like, even, just even think about, like, you're trying to do your chores. You're trying to clean the floors. You're changing the bed sheets out. Yeah. You're trying to do laundry and you're listening to your AirPods or your whatever. And whatever you're listening to keeps, like, shifting to something else Uh -uh. against your will. Oh, my God. And you keep having to turn it back to whatever you're listening to. No. And then you hear it talking to you, whispering to you. From, no, thank you. Like, I will not from a be locked doing that. door in your house. No, I mean that's so scary. So scary. That is so scary. That, I mean, it earns the seven, and it I that seven. may be the highest that we've given so far. I don't. Maybe. I mean, there are, there still are scarier episodes of this show. Yes. Um, but Agreed. this one's up there. Definitely is of the ones we've covered so far. It's definitely. Up there. And I didn't think I'd give it that. I didn't either until I got to the end of these notes. Because watching it, I'm like, how is this so silly? It's laughable. It, it, there but are then funny you think parts. about what's actually happening mm-hmm. and it's it's terrifying. Listener, what would you give this episode? Let us know, please. I think as a kid, I would have given this like a like a 12 out of 10. Like it would have been like so scary to me. I think it would have been higher than a 7 for oh, me yeah. too. I don't know if it would have been as a kid that high, but yeah, as a it's kid. It's still spooky now as an adult, but again, we know. You just don't turn the music on. Right. Especially the swirling vortex with the skeleton and the... Mm. That moment is a lot. It feels heavy. It feels dark. That's that's a uh, alarming moment. <laughs> it's quite scary. Agreed. But the doll even, it, it comes the out creepy. of the closet toward him. Like it's in the mm. middle of the closet. The root cellar. Root cellar. I'm hung up on closets because closets scare the hell out of me. Closets are scary. But... Ugh. I don't know. That freaks me out. That kind of stuff scares me. Me too. Well, listener, I do, before we go, I do want to say thank you. We've had yeah. such good interactions lately. We've had some really nice messages and people coming together around our show and you like the show and you're sharing it with people that you know and you're sharing things like Are You Afraid of the Dark, all these other 80s and 90s shows and movies with your own kids. Mm-hmm. And I love it so much. So I have to say thank you. It's so good. Thank you so much. We're so grateful and it's so much fun. We're excited. Like I said, we've got an incredible Halloween season coming for Mm. you so soon. Right now it's around the corner. It's like next week. It's like coming up. Oh. This is our like church moment at the end of uh, the sermon where the the preacher's like, and this is your task for the week. You bring you bring a friend next week. Bring a friend next time. Let's get Mm -hmm. our numbers up to a (laughs) hundred. Youth group members next week. You bring oh, no. a friend from your school, yeah, or your sports program. Uh huh. You sound right. You bring right on a friend next week. We're gonna get our numbers up. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> so all that to say, well, seriously. if you do have a friend listener that you think would enjoy our show, <laughs> yeah, please tell you tell one friend about us. Yeah, that'd be great homework for your spooky season. Tell them that the spooky season's gonna be kick ass, and we're right there with you, and we couldn't be more freaked out about it oh it's a privilege privilege and we are so grateful and we are so here for it you are never really alone you guys are never alone and neither are we because of you guys thank you so much thank you seriously we're dumb but we uh yes as evidenced by this episode we could could cry (laughs) thinking about how much how sweet you guys are so thank you yes thank you thank you yeah anything else christian it's a genie
It's a gin. It's a gin. We think it's a gin. I have no idea. I don't know what it is. We think it's some some breed of gin. I've got a lot more um, more house uh, renovation to, to, to go. Do. Mm-hmm. So if I find anything else in the walls, I'll let you guys know. Oh yeah, keep us posted. Mm-hmm. Spooky. I'll let you know. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you so much again. Stay tuned next time for the beginning of our spookiest of spooky Halloween season festivities. It's already so exciting. I can't wait. Five weeks straight of us. Yeah, we're going to do an episode every week. I don't know if we've told you that yet, but it's Five weeks in your ears. Five weeks in your ears. Back to back to back to back to back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Go feed your demons. Go feed your basement gods. Go go feed your basement demon. Don't forget. (laughs) Go feed your boogeyman. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, You're never really alone. So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.